Hello, listener. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode number 84. How you doing? Welcome to day number 230. Oh, wait a minute. Let's try that again. Welcome to day number 323 of my quarantine. We're going to hit a year soon. It's pretty crazy. And we're definitely going to hit a year because I'm not getting the vaccine before March 6th. So that seems safe to say. As nice as that would be. Uh, Joe Biden is... uh, Promised 100 million vaccines in 100 days, which is coincidentally, <laughs> I'm convinced he did it out of spite, but uh, that rate of a million a day is exactly the rate that Trump left him. So, you know, that promise isn't really amounting to much yet. I suspect once he gets in there and uh, gets a handle on things and figures out what kind of planning, if any, there was, he will revise his estimate upwards. But. You know, that's only 100 million Americans out of 320-some chain change, and I'm, kids are going to be after me, but other than kids that were basically last on the list, healthy adults with no comorbidities or complications. So, yeah, we'll be here till May or June. I got some friends that got a betting pool going on. Uh, I bet my birthday, May 7th. I'd be pleasantly surprised if I got a vaccine before May 7th. But yeah, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> we have a new president, man, and we watched the old one get impeached again since I last talked to you guys. The last three Wednesdays have been crazy. I watched the inauguration. I found it, uh, you know, I, I can't say I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit better, but I'm very much in PTSD mood mood still. Like I, 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 I have this very expensive bottle of champagne that I bought years ago when I was a rich dude. I bought like four of them and I have one left and, uh, it is a Dom Perignon vintage 1999 I think uh the David Lynch edition <laughs> and the rosé so it's you know triple whammy of rare Dom Perignon and uh 2 years ago we drank a bottle with the neighbors and uh it was lovely on new years and then this year I have one left and I was like yeah you know I'm just like everybody else 2020 2021 and then I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling it on the new year. I'm not going to do this. I'll do it with the inauguration. That'll be the day. And I had, you know, this sense of foreboding that there'd still be more drama to come before we had a new president. And I was right. But by the day that the inauguration came around, I was not in the mood, you know? I mean, I was happy, obviously, to see this man get inaugurated. And I was very happy to watch on my television uh, that uh, previous president of ours fly away under the sunset. But... um not happy enough that I felt like I could bust out the posh champagne. So I, I, I busted out a cheap bottle of Prosecco instead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we watched the whole thing. Uh, and we watched the, the, the evening uh, celebration, I guess you could say, which I'm pretty into. I knew that was going to be good. I had complete faith in that team that pulled off that I'm pretty amazing virtual DNC in just seven days. So I knew they, they would pull this off 
And, uh, you know, it was great. I love Bruce Springsteen, as you know, so I enjoyed that. I secretly love Katy Perry, so I, I, I liked that part a lot. Not a big Foo Fighters fan, but, you know, I, I like Pap Smear. <laughs> Pat Smear from the Germs. It's good to see him. Somebody tweeted out, like, you're really not president until Pat Smear has played your inauguration. I, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, you know... It was good to see. And I watched the impeachment trial. Uh, that was very frustrating and very hard to listen to those Republicans say all those crazy things. And, you know, I think after today, I'm going to mostly stop talking about politics on this podcast again. But I, I do want you guys to know that I've made a personal vow that just because we have this new president, I don't believe we can just forget it. I am cutting him some significant slack as a as a. Uh, I, you know, I don't really like the labels, but I'm definitely more progressive than, wait, what do they call it? Leftist than liberal, but, uh, I'm a pragmatic leftist, which other leftists would call you a liberal, but I disagree. And I think they're dumb and wrong anyway. Uh, even from my position, probably almost certainly further left than Joe Biden. I'm going to cut him some time and, some, you know, like let him do his thing for a while. I don't feel it's my place to publicly critique in these first few weeks. And plus, when I started this podcast, I was like, I don't really want to talk about politics. I want to talk about other stuff. Uh, but it's good to see it, man. It's good to see that guy go. I feel I feel really good about that. And today the news came in that the inauguration had 36 million viewers, which was about 10 million, which is a substantial, was that 30% more viewers than Donald Trump's inauguration? And, you know, I don't really care one way or the other, but I just know that guy cares about ratings, and it makes me so happy that he was so thoroughly trounced in the ratings. <laughs> it's nice, it's nice. Yeah, so a new leaf, a new page. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to get fixed. I, I read most of the 17 executive orders that he issued on the first day. I read the COVID response plan that he put out on his second day in office. That was a very, very profoundly weird read because it was just a bunch of obvious stuff that we should have been doing all along. And you're simultaneously thinking, God, it's so nice to read somebody think like got this basic shit under control. And also like the horror the abject horror you're feeling, realizing that none of that basic shit was under control. <laughs> it's really quite disturbing. But uh, I'm really into whitehouse.gov now. They got a really good briefing room section with all the executive orders and, and announcements and things. So I check it every day. It's now one of my tabs that I keep open in the morning with all my other tabs. That's, that's nice. Uh, it's got dark mode on it. The Spanish language version of the site is back. <laughs> that's That's nice. Uh, the executive orders, I think, were phenomenal all around. Uh, I'm very excited. There's been some chatter today that the one saying promoting LGBTQ plus protections was going to ruin women's sports. This was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. And it is kind of disheartening to see the Republicans keep just going right back to the way they were before. Right. Like obstructionism and unity, unity. You say unity, but we uh, we feel alienated and you're going to women ruin women's sports like these people have really profoundly were ardent defenders of Title Nine here in the Republican Party. Anyway, anyway, uh, it's been it's been a crazy week, and it was quite fun last night to finally watch Anthony Fauci show up on the Rachel Maddow show. It was, <laughs> that guy seems so happy, so happy to be allowed to do his job. Like, just you know, I remember 
I don't know, like 25, no more, 30 more, more than 30 years ago, this I was in Boston, I was at a party and I had this computer nerd friend. He went on to do great things, founding team at Twitter and all this stuff. And he had just got a job at Digitas and he was like, it's amazing. I got there and the first thing, this person came in and they're like, here, write down what kind of computer you need, all your equipment. And I just wrote down what I wanted. And, you know, they gave me this and this and this. It was probably like a 486 or something, you know? <laughs> It was a long time ago, but you know, just the joy, the profound surprise and joy a human being feels when their employer lets them give them the tools to do their job. You know what I mean? And it was also really funny. It was like watching Rachel at him. Like she wanted to ask him so bad at the beginning. Like he was like, it's going to be here. You know, I always wanted to be on or something like that. And she, you could tell she wanted to just start the interview with like, did they not let you come on my show? But she didn't ask it and he didn't say it. But by the end, he, the dude felt so free and relaxed. He was just like, I've wanted to come on this show for ages and I kept asking and they wouldn't let me. <laughs> it's just like that guy doesn't care anymore. He's like, I'm just going to speak the truth from here on out. It was, it was nice. It felt good. It felt good. All that being said, I got really depressed yesterday anyway. Uh, we'll talk more about the book I'm reading, but it started out, we'll talk about it later, but it started out with a very harrowing scene and it's an environmental themed book and I just got really depressed again. And, you know, this filibuster thing is, is I don't have, I, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it, but, like, we got to do something about the environment. We got to pass something like the Green New Deal or something, and we got to act now, and this book is making it, bringing it all back home for me, and, and it's, it's hard. We got a long ways to go. The crazy part about all this is how much of the world's future right now is in Joe Manchin's hands. Joe Manchin, of course, the Democratic senator from West Virginia who's on the record being sort of dubious about the filibuster, though he has opened up, indicated he's open to the possibility in the last few months. And, you know, without the filibuster, he's just another dude that you got to get to get the 60 votes or with the filibuster. Without the filibuster, that guy, like, you know, the Democratic Party's destiny is in his hands. And I honestly don't know which one is going to lead to something more like the Green New Deal. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. There's a lot going on. When Biden gets done with the easy stuff and he starts turning his attention to tackling our really, truly pressing problems in a major way, that's when that's when the rubber hits the road and that's when things... We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, moving on. Let's see. Uh, Andy Shea's mom wrote me a lovely letter recently. She's been uh, putting little rocks from all of Andy's friends at the base of his grave with their name on it. She sent me the rock in a very lovely note, so I got to send that back. I've been thinking about Andy a lot lately. Uh, yeah, that was a nice letter to get. Just uh, and you know, thinking about lost friends a lot in the last few weeks. We'll talk some more about that later. But it was a heartwarming letter. It made me happy. It was nice. It's good to get mail. You know, a lot of people doing a lot less zooms and stuff like that. Like friends are still in touch with friends, but not like we were. Everybody was at the beginning of the the pandemic. So sometimes I feel a little lonely again. So it's nice to get a piece of mail now and again. That was nice. Kitties are doing well. Uh, a couple nights ago, we lost a kitty, and it was super scary. It was really cold outside, and, you know, it's like with Jane, I had to keep all these doors closed or open, depending on whether it was a room she needed to get into or she wasn't allowed to get into, and it's almost exactly inverted with these cats, right? Like, we have this storage room with the hot water heater and the HVAC system and a bunch of boxes. We call it the box room. It's got the, you know, the Tesla Powerwall batteries and the breaker boxes. Dangerous room. Obviously, keep that door closed with Jane at all times. You don't want her wandering in there. 
but I go in and out of there all the time. And I can't be hundred percent sure when I went in there that there wasn't a cat between my legs that went in there as well. So now if I shut the door, I might lock the cat in the room. I ended up locking one of the cats in my library for like five hours one day, you know? And so the other night we just lost a cat. We couldn't find him anywhere. Roy, the black one. And it was super stressful. And I had gone out to take out some trash that day. And I was you know, pretty sure I was shutting the doors behind me and like into the garage and then out to the outside. But I was like, maybe this cat is in the garage somewhere. And, you know, I mean, you can hide anywhere in the garage. There's a ton of crap in our garage. Or maybe he slipped between my legs and actually got outside, you know. And like we looked around everywhere. We couldn't find him for ages. And then he just showed up again and he looked really scared. And I was like, I found him. He's just sitting in the middle of the kitchen and like, we don't know where he was or what he was into. And it was super terrifying. And I remember when we first moved in and like, we kept losing Fanny because the house was so big and like, it was so scary every time you're like, what if she got out? What if she got out? Cause these cats have never been outside in their lives. You know, <laughs> They don't know what the outdoors is. It's like us accidentally being out in space or something. But uh, we found him. He seemed all right. And uh, yeah, it was a little scary. They're getting really big. Everything's going pretty great. Jane has a proclivity towards softly kicking the cats, though. She loves these cats. And she just chases them everywhere and terrorizes them constantly. And we keep trying to tell her, like, if you love the cats, free, free, set them free, set them free. You got to, like, be still and let the cats come to you and you got to pet them in a certain way. She knows how to pet the cats. She just wants to run right over to them, grab them and then pet them gently. I mean, no, the gentleness is an all encompassing philosophy with the cats, Jane. She's not really picking that up. It's pretty frustrating. <laughs> and I also, I feel this sense of guilt. I think one time I tried to tickle Roy's belly with my toes and Jane's imitating that. And it looks like she's kicking the cat now. And like, I feel like it's my fault. It's not good. <laughs> Uh, diet's going okay. I don't know. It's kind of stalled. It's not good. I mean, it's good. I've lost like 12 pounds in two or three weeks. That's not bad. But in the last like five days, I haven't lost anything and it's kind of bumming me out. And this always happens. And everybody's like, don't look at the scale every day. But I look at the scale every day. I like to look at the scale every day because it's the most exciting thing. And when I wake up in the morning and I've lost some weight, I just feel so happy and it makes the whole day better. But it hasn't happened in like four or five days. So that's a super bummer. And Yesterday I had the splitting headache all day and I got really depressed and it was kind of gray out. Actually, it wasn't even that gray out. It was nice out. It was cold. Uh, and I haven't been outside in ages except for to get the mail or to like reset my time lapse thing. I, you know, I haven't gotten any exercise in ages. I thought this, you know, we were walking every day in the summer. I was getting exercise and I was like, winter's coming. I got to do something. Maybe I'll get another treadmill or something. And, you know, I don't want to be one of those Peloton people or something like that. But I used to have a treadmill or we had one. I used to own one and also... Before that, there was one in a gym in our basement or in our apartment in Brooklyn. And I liked it, you know, and I was like, I should get a treadmill. But now I feel like, I mean, winter's like half over and I never got around to it. So I'm like, I guess I could just sort of like muddle through, right? Like I only got like eight more weeks of winter, nine, ten more weeks of winter. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that, that. And my neck was hurting and I had this headache and my fingers still got a problem and I got really depressed. And I was like, I just want to go to a bar. And I'm like, but that's unhealthy. And then you'd feel even worse afterwards. And I was like, everything I like to do is unhealthy and I'll just want to do it for the rest of my life. Even if I live a healthy life forever, I'll never get over it. It's kind of like alcoholism, you know? I mean, I'm not an alcoholic, don't get me wrong, but it is the same thing. Like my love of it and like my enjoyment of going out and having a good time is like 
you know, I can function without it and I can live a healthy life without it. And I can find joy in all these healthy things around me. Like I'm really in all these healthy things that I've been doing for the last year. Right. And I'm generally pretty happy in this last year, like, you know, gardening and raising my child and these, you know, foster kitties and, and, and the compost and you know whatever you know, and on work and this and helping my friend with her new startup, which has been giving me, a, you know, that's probably what happened actually. We'll get to that in a minute. But, um, I was just like, but the things that I love, really love are just all really unhealthy. And I just want to do them all the time. Even now, after a year of like not doing them and living this healthier life, it's not like I'm like, oh, I never needed those things anyway. Gosh, darn it. It's like, no, I still just miss them and want to do them. I'm like, am I going to be this way in my bed, my deathbed? I'm going to be like, I live the full life. I was so healthy. I'm surrounded by people I loved and I did great things. But God damn, I just wish I spent more time in bars. I know the answer is no, but like part of me can't help but think that maybe the answer is yes. It's a little weird. I don't know. I got a lot of neurosis going going on with that and uh yeah it just kind of started getting to me yesterday it was rough <laughs> uh and then you know it was my turn with jane's bedtime and like i was reading her her alaska one two three book and she was stalling and she was stalling with the lights going to bed and she was stalling with a diaper and she was stalling with brushing the teeth and i was like i hate it when she's like this but I'm also thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, you're going to miss this someday. Someday, one day, she's just going to say, I don't want to do Alaska 1, 2, 3 ever again. And you're going to be super bummed. And like, you're going to look at her in two years and you're going to be sad. You're going to miss this period. Just like now, I miss when she was a little baby and she just slept on my chest all the time, you know? And like, and of course, someday, then she's going to become a teenager. And it's like, but there's this paradox because like, you can know that and spend all your effort, exert extraordinary amounts of effort trying to be like, I want to be in this moment and enjoy my kid. But at the same time, you're thinking, God damn it, kid, stop telling you just read the fucking alaska one two three book okay for it <laughs> buzzing mosquitoes playing a game of tag it's not that hard <laughs> so that's kind of where my head is at been at lately uh she's doing good though she's pooping a ton i don't know what's going on with that and she's giving herself a butt rash i think it's because she's obsessed with wheat thins lately like whole wheat crackers and i don't know probably too much fiber going through her system it's kind of funny <laughs> Just a lot of poop, a lot of poop. Uh, and she's eating a ton again. She goes through cycles where she barely eats any food for like a week or two. And you're like, I don't know, man. She didn't eat much of her breakfast or lunch or dinner. And this now she's eating all of all three of them. So that's good. Way fewer tantrums than the old days, but they still happen. She still kind of loses control, but she can kind of regain control. And I think she's starting to learn that screaming about how she wants something or throwing a fit if she doesn't get it doesn't really work. And she she can get more catch more flies with honey as you as you as the saying goes so you know she's she's getting better about that that's nice that's nice uh i don't know it's tough she's got these bead necklaces like a whole bead kit right janet gave it to her for christmas and she makes this necklace and it's too long she makes this necklace i swear to god it's like six feet long it like from her neck to toes right and, you know, when the necklace is that long, it's like the weight of the necklace will just tear the necklace apart. So it's always breaking. And every time you try and pick her up, it breaks. And, you know, every time it breaks, she says, stop it. Hold on. Hold on. You know, she's like an old man. And she's like, I got to fix this necklace here. And then she'll take like five minutes. You're like, I know you need to fix the necklace, but we're in the middle of putting you to bed. And I don't want to spend five more minutes while you repair this entire necklace. And like, <laughs> it's just... Oh, and last night I was like, it's time for bed. And she wouldn't go because she couldn't like balance this Duplo Lego figure inside this windowsill and close the window. And I was just like, I know you need to do that before bed, but it, I can't sit here for 10 minutes while you do that. And 
but why not? What am I doing? What do I got to do? Put her to bed and go downstairs and sit there with my wife and watch Anthony Fauci. I mean, it's not that pressing, you know what I mean? But I just, you can't handle it. Even when you rationally know, and I'm sorry, you're sitting there and you're like, I can handle this. This is totally reasonable. Like it's not, you know, she's just trying to do it right. And, and we, it'll only be a minute or two, but at the same time, you're like, I'm going to murder her. I'm not going to murder my baby, but you know, it's like you can hold both of these feelings, this mature, good parent feeling, this intense frustration simultaneously, which is pretty crazy. But a good thing is the other day at breakfast, I like, I grabbed her a little head in my hands and I gave her a little back neck rub, just very light one on the back of her neck. And she was like, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm like, yeah, you are, you are our, our kid. Since Evan and I, of course, both love neck rubs. And now she just comes around, she comes over and sticks her little face up towards me. And she's like, she doesn't know. I didn't, I haven't told her it's called a neck rub yet. So she just kind of points with her fingers and goes, Mama. and I'm like, oh, yes. And I cup her hand, her head in my hands and I give her this little neck rub. And that is pretty great. I'm not going to lie. That's, that's been really nice. Uh, yeah. Anyway. And then we had this person come over to build this play set. Emma's been trying to, trying to like get a hold of this woman's, this local artisanal playset construction company. <laughs> I mean, you know, artisanal in the, in the sense of rural North Carolina, not like, you know, New York city artisanal. They're pretty cool. They seem pretty cool, but they were obviously completely overworked in the last year in the summer and spring and fall. And so we never heard from them. And then on a lark, Emma tried to get a hold of her this month and she answered and she's like, yeah, I'll come over and give the consultation. We'll figure it out. And, you know, we're, we're taking orders now for April and, and May. So we got all that done. And then she said that, like, because our neighbor has an old place set and Emma's thinking of using some of the parts. And she's like, yeah, we can recycle the rest of the parts. What we do with them is we use them for goat play sets because goats love play sets and they like to climb on them. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to see a goat play set. <laughs> Just, that brought a lot of joy into my life. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, projects. It's been hard for me to do projects. I mean, there are these projects that are projects, but not really projects. Like studio organization, that project's going fine. And like the time-lapse photos, that project's going fine. But, you know, like starting something meaty or picking up one of my books or something like that, I, I'm still very far mentally from doing any of that stuff. I do think the studio reorg is slowly achieving its effect, its its intended goal. Like I've, I've, I've ding, tink, tink tinkered tinkled on tickled tickled the keys and jane and i've played a little music together and I, I'm, I'm getting more ready um i got these you know i've been finishing up sort of the polishing stuff i did the big studio rewiring i got the audio interface installed over the holidays but whenever you do something like that you inevitably need new cables or connectors you got to order those you got away from them come some are back or some take a couple weeks so that stuff's all sort of trickled in i got the rack unit so the audio interface and the uh, ADAT expansion box are now in a nice rack unit and the cassette deck on top of it looks really sharp and all the wires. I got all the cables organized and Velcro wrapped so that, like there's not like cable jungles everywhere. I got a power supply for my Casio SK-1 uh, sampler. Remember those little toy samplers? Uh, I love that thing. I've had it forever. I got a power supply for it so I'm not like chewing up a AA batteries. The first one was mislabeled on Amazon and it was the wrong polarity. And then I got, I had to order the second one. That one came and I, uh, I got it all plugged in and I've been doing labeling of all my power supplies. Cause I got this like five foot, six foot, I have these six foot power strips behind my counters of equipment and you plug a bunch of stuff into them and they're great. I love them. I had, I got them from the clubhouse back in the old days. And, uh, they, you know, so now I've been labeling on top of each of the, the, the wart, wall warts that go into it, like what it is for. So when I can unplug something, I know what it is that brilliant. I don't know. I never thought about that before. Label maker uh, labels on your power supplies. It's fantastic. Strongly recommend it. 
I have these two Buddha boxes by this band called FM3. They made these little boxes, little plastic boxes, the size of cigarette boxes that um, you basically, you turn them on and they had like ambient loop based albums in them and you could, there's a couple adjustments on them and you could play with them and you know, they're, they're called albums, but they're not. And I have the first one and the third one. And the first one was the only one ever with an AC adapter and it, you know, so I bought the right AC adapter, right voltage, right polarity. I'd not mess it up. I plugged it in and it worked great because they take nine volt batteries and it's annoying. They always run out and I like sampling them into, you know, I have it all going into this keyboard sub mixer and like, I like blending it all together to make these like sort of atonal noise backgrounds, you know? And it blew it out. And I could smell smoke coming out of it immediately. I'm like, oh, what a bummer. And I have another Buddha box. I have two, actually. I have another one, the FM3 Series 2. And I have the collaboration he did with Robin Gristle. But those don't have AC adapters. Thank God, because I don't want to ruin them. And it's impossible to find an FM3 Buddha box Series 1 with AC adapter again. So, I don't know. That's a bummer. I blew that out. I've owned that thing for like 20 years. I'm super sad. But other than that, everything's going pretty well. Uh, I got... Uh, I also had like an old smoky amp. If you don't know what these are, it's like a practice amp, guitar amp, and a, they made them in cigarette boxes and they cut out a circle and they put a little speaker and you could plug in your guitar and use it as a practice amp. And they're great. And I have an American spirit one because I used to be my cigarettes. I smoked and it was kind of falling apart, but I repaired it all. I like got the box all put back together. I fixed up the wiring and it has an output too. So like I took that and I put them onto my keyboard sub mixer in and out. And now I use it as an effects loop on my, my keyboard mixer and it's awesome it makes me so happy so like i can just add a little bit of distortion to everything that goes into the keyboard sub mixer so that that's all done that was pretty great i got that done and then i got this like really nice solid rolling cart that rolls under my desk right and it's made out of metal and it's white and it's got like a gray wood colored shelf in it that exactly matches the gray wood colored ceramic tile of my floor it's just i can't believe i found this thing it's like the greatest thing and it's got a basket underneath it and so i bought one and it was just even just putting it together i was like this thing's amazing it's like solid and steel with welds and you know just so much better than most of the junk you buy these days at target or something as a desk organizer and so I've made it and I put it, I rolled it in and it fit perfectly right under the effects or the, the audio interface over here. And, uh, right next to my, uh, uh, pedal board on the floor that connected to my roads and I'm using it now. I watch all these tutorial videos and figure this out. And one of the great things about me switching to this, uh, focus rate Claret USB eight interface, which, you know, is nominally lower quality than my old, uh, Apollo duo twin interface is that it's eight channels instead of one and has eight outputs instead of two. So I can take one of the outputs and I can put it through the effects loop and I can put it back into one of my spare inputs. So I have a total of 16 analog inputs now. So here's the point is like what I can do now is I can use this analog effects area on my logic mixes in real time, right? So like my digital mixes in my DAW and Logic Pro on my computer, I can add analog effects. And it's something when I was working on the last album, I just viscerally wanted to be able to do. I was like, that guitar sound would be great if I had a real distortion pedal on it. And then I try and, you know, do it with like the, the model distortions in Logic and it sounded okay. If you put it low in the mix and there's a lot of other noise, it was fine. It's just, I'm thinking specifically of pasture cropping drinking song. But I really just want to be able to put analog distortion, analog effects on these you know, sampled sounds. And now I've got it all set up to do it. And it just made me so happy. It was great. So that was really exciting. And also the cart was such a perfect size. I got another one and I put it under another part of my desk and it's got my scanner on it. I got a new scanner. I mean, you know, 60 bucks. This is not like a posh thing. Scanners are dirt cheap these days. But my scanner was over 20 years old. 
So I got the latest model of the same scanner, the Canon Lido 400. <laughs> I used to have the Lido 30. <laughs> and you know, my old one, I went up to like 1200 DPI. This one goes up to 4800 DPI. My old one took like 40 seconds to do a photo. This one takes like three seconds. It's just so much better as a USB 3. But like, you know, I, the bulk of my photo archive is scanned. So occasionally I need a new photo. So what I'd been doing is I'd been keeping the scanner in the box room and bringing it over and plugging it in when, only when I needed it. But now I've got it on this nice cart and it's like I can pull it out and use it and it's all hooked up and it's just fantastic. So those, those are the studio organizing things I have been doing and it's been really great. I f have not had the Farfisa sent to the guy to try and fix it yet. That's the big thing I still need to do. He's open. He's like, yeah, I'll take it whenever. Uh, I found out that Uber does have the Uber package delivery courier service in my area. So I'm going to like have it sent to him, but I just haven't got around. I keep forgetting to do it. And it's really frustrating. And then, of course, the big shelf, that's money. That's going to cost a ton of money. And I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it. I kind of want to do it, but I kind of, I don't know. Still sitting on that one. Might never happen. But now that I got all that done, I have been doing, uh, this is so exciting, I've been doing my finishing the last tapes of the year-long project of, of digitizing all of my analog tapes. You will recall I left off on this project when I had a bunch of four-track tapes left, and I was very, it was tough to do. First off, I was over-ambitious, and I was going to... The idea was I was going to record digitally each individual track off the four-track tape and then make a mix in Logic, a digital mix, so it would sound better. Turns out that wasn't really feasible. You know, like the way that would work, there's not four individual outputs, uh, individual track outputs on my Tascam Port Studio 07. There's only a stereo output, so I would have had to record two tracks and then rewind and record the other two tracks. And then because there's no, you know, across all four tracks to line them up, I would have to manually line them up. And I did it for a couple that were really particularly good. And I will do it again if I find some four track tape that's just like bordering on a masterpiece. But the thing is, most of these tapes are kind of garbage anyway. They're, I mean, you know, some of the performances are okay. It's more of a nostalgia thing for me. So I've just been making stereo mixes in the four track using like the mixers and the, the pan and the, you know, the, uh, how you say, uh, EQs and the effects, uh, loop and then I just outputting it to stereo into logic and then I'll do some compression and EQ and stuff and stereo and logic but like because I've done it this way quicker and because both the four track and the stereo cassette deck are permanently hooked up into separate channels and my 16 channels are taking up four channels leaving me you know 12 channels for everything else one channel for the effects and then 11 channels for actual instruments so when I get a tape and I put it in I'm like oh this isn't a stereo tape it's a four track tape in the old days I had to like stop unplug the cassette deck, rewire in the four track. It was just annoying and it took forever. But now I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. I just change from channel one, two to 17, 18 in logic and go over there, hit rewind, hit play. And I'm on the other tape deck and it's awesome. So I plowed through last weekend. I don't know, like four or five of these tapes, a lot of old tapes in my old band. Uh, Rockets vs. the Street Lamps. Before we were called Rockets vs. the Street Lamps and my sister was the bassist, we were called Transportation briefly. And uh, so we had a live in studio session by transportation i had all the original four track tapes of it and i had the stereo mix down tape that i did from back in the day so i made new 2021 four track mixes because i think i like i think i'm a little bit better at these things since then but certainly the technology is better and the eqs and the compression and, and logic is better and then i ripped in the old uh 1996 mixes as well and so you know that's cool i have this nice album <laughs> you know i'd say half the tracks are garbage but half of them are pretty good 
the, from 1995 or six that I haven't heard of and heard in 25 years. So that was really cool. I found another like mixtape of something I had done solo that ended up being a B side rocket single seven inch. I got that, you know, found the original four track mix of that. I made a pretty good mix of that. It just, I got a lot done on that project and you guys know it's probably been six months since I had worked on that project. So that was very validating. Then the studio is working again and you know, it got me kind of like pretty excited about it all again. That was nice. That was nice. And then just yesterday, Mike Anderson, my old roommate from 1995 and my best friend in the early nineties sent me and my sister and Craig and Annie, a bunch of pictures of our band before, before transportation even called pig monkey. And, uh, he was in that band with us and we did a couple shows, one at BU, one at Bard college in New York. And there's a bunch of photos he had of all those shows. And I just saw those photos yesterday. And it's a very interesting feeling seeing a photo of yourself from 25 years ago for the first time, like you own photos of yourself from 25 years ago. And you've seen them a lot and you've sort of processed those. But when you see a new one, a new angle or a new outfit, and in this case, I was wearing a shirt that I just used to love so much and I don't own anymore. And I, you know, I just forgot all about that shirt. Um, and it was by that, it was a shirt for that band Kitty Power, those 13 year old girls that were my friend's sisters that I told you all about, like back last March when I first started ripping the cassettes. I had completely forgotten. I used to own a Kitty Power t shirt. It's awesome. And my hair was so good and I was so thin and I was so handsome. Oh, it hurts. But still, I'm happy to have seen these photos. And it really brought back some memories, and even though both shows in my memory were terrible. <laughs> and then there were some other friends. There were some old photos of, of a Jussie in there, an old photo of my long-lost friend Anuja. We used to be really close. I haven't seen her in 20, 30 years. And this band, The Umpteens, that were friends of ours. There, We played one of these shows with The Umpteens, and there's a bunch of, show, of photos of them. That was really awesome. My friend Nick Ladadio, who I hang out with till this day, my friend Nick in Wilmington, his old band Viejo played with us at one of these shows the BU show there's a photo of Nick's band in there I gotta send that to him today so that was awesome I just love seeing old photos I even even though <laughs> I was like oh to be young and beautiful and have that hair again uh you know that hurt a little bit but overall the feeling of seeing these photos was positive and it was really nice it was really nice so yeah you know studio org's going pretty well Time lapses are going well. My new thing now is I want to like I'm, I'm getting into like motion control rigs um so, you know, I was panning using internal pan in the camera. I would shoot at 4K. I would res it down to 1080p and I would do a pan across the photo. This is very common with YouTubers. They do it all the time when you see them zooming in and out or panning in their stop motions. Uh, and it looked good, but it really just frustrated me that I couldn't do it in 4K. And then I was like, well, clearly I need to do physical motion. And I barked up the wrong tree when I bought that Osmo DJI Osmo Pocket 2, which I think I'm going to sell on eBay. I'm never going to touch that thing. Um... Yeah, I'm going to sell that on eBay. I just decided that we'll do that anyway. And so I was like, oh, well, clearly what I need is one of those motorized tracks, you know, <laughs> he holds the camera and pans slowly. So I started, well, I don't know anything about these. I'm, you know, this is, these did not exist when I was a photographer in the old days and except for, for, you know, Hollywood movies and shit. So it's become one of those things you need to learn about from scratch, right? And these days, uh, you know, see, I think we all feel this. Like, we're like, oh, my God, I'm very interested in this topic, but I don't know where to start. I, there's so much to learn, and I don't even know where to start. And I used to sort of start in Google and try and do that. But now I'm just like, this one, I'm like, I'm going to, I've been, you know, you know this. I've been doing this for, for the last year. I'm like, I'm going to start in YouTube. 
So I just Googled, you know, YouTube motion control camera equipment reviews and I found one and I clicked it and it was this review for this like $2,600 high-end pro system. It looked amazing, honestly. The thing looked fantastic. But I was like, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't want to spend more than like 150 bucks. Where's the toy version of this for iPhones? You know what I mean? And uh, he's like, I used to use this cheap one here. And then I'm like, okay, I'll watch that review. I'm like, oh, it's still a little too high-end, but like I'm getting it. So I'm sort of like learning about it, but I'm hoping to find one in the like under $200 range and then i could do these pans with that and keep it in 4k and pan so i've just basically stopped panning now i'm shooting in 4k again and it's great it looks awesome but it's you know it's still and the motion really adds some drama the pan really adds some drama to your time lapses i think again i have no idea why i'm doing this project i just want to get good at it and uh you know, it's a thing I can do in my 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 yard and house, so I'm doing that. Yeah, so that's going, that's going, and then the gardening's going well. Uh, I looked up our last frost date in the Farmer's Almanac for my area, and it's April eighth. The vast majority of my seeds are supposed to be planted in seedling form inside eight weeks before last frost, which means February eighth. And that is in 17 days. So under three weeks, I can start planting, which then in my mind, it'll be spring. This is going to be how I get through February. It's going to be great. Um, so I bought a shelf to put all my seeds on and I got a bunch of seed trays, the 10 by 20 bottom plastic trays, and then the cells that you put in them. And I got the fertilizer and I got the seed starting mix and I watched a bunch of videos about it because last year I bought all my plants as transplants and I tried to do some seeds and I failed at them all because I just did roughly what I remember my mom telling me to do the last time I put seeds in the ground, which was when I was like eight <laughs> and some did work, you know, I did get some seeds, but in hindsight, I was doing so many things wrong. I was using, you know, gardening soil and that seed starter mix and I was watering from the top and not the bottom. And I was only putting one seed in each cell and I wasn't using fertilizer <laughs> and I wasn't keeping them under constant light and I wasn't watching the temperature. I was doing everything wrong. But, you know, some of them work. So this year I've, I've, I've learned how to do it right. And I got all the supplies and tomorrow and, Emma, you know, and then Emma and I had to figure out where we were going to set it up. I wanted to do it in the attic, but she's concerned about bugs because I'm growing this basil in the garage and there's some bugs on it sometimes. So we're going to do it in the garage. So that means we had to carve out a place because our garage is really full. But we figured out where we're going to do it. And I'm very excited. So in, you know, I guess I'll be talking to you guys one more time before I get started. But it's less than three weeks away. So I'm very, very excited. I got tons of seeds. I got so many things that I've been thinking about where I'm going to put things and outside and I'm going to build these trellises for my tomatoes and do the string and hook system onto the trellises, one vine and lead them up and not let them bush out. And uh, I've got some nice planters coming. I got a couple containers for downstairs because the squirrels and the deer don't like my chili peppers. So I think I can grow those right outside my door here in this mulch bed, put some containers in it. I got this vertical thing called the green stock planter to do all my herbs and stuff that rolls around upstairs. It's like a tower of plants. It'll be awesome. I'm very excited. I am very excited. I can't wait for it all to start. And, uh, you know, if I ever knew before that starting seeds in February is when you did it, then I could start thinking about spring in February. That right there is worth the entire gardening hobby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's it for the projects. Work is going well. Actually, uh, the last project is kind of a work thing. It's not my job, but I'm helping a friend with her startup, and she has a great pitch deck and a great idea, and I'm really into it, and I've been sort of helping her a little bit along the way. She has 
other advisors that are helping with raising money and that are better at that sort of thing than I am. But the area that I thought she really could use some help was an area I'm pretty good at was the financial modeling. And so I just got really into it. Not this week, but last week, all of last week, I was just like, whenever I wasn't doing my own work or watching Jane day or night, I was like working on this <laughs> spreadsheet, like her P and L and her sales plan and her growth plan and like headcount modeling and all this stuff. And did some really innovative stuff in there. And I felt really good. I was really proud of my work and I really hope she raises her money because <laughs> it's a great idea and it's got a great model now and she's got a good team behind her. So, you know, I hope that really works out. Oops, sorry, kick the table. I really need to like put a little piece of foam rubber on each side of the clamp, the mic clamp, because whenever you tap the table, it rumbles. See, that's annoying. Uh, anyway, and my job's going well. I mean, this year, you know, January's always the worst month, and uh, but I sort of exported last January's revenue, and I took a screenshot of the whole month, and I keep it on my desktop, and every morning I check the revenue. We're pretty consistently, but doing about 60% better than last January on our revenue for time op and you know a thousand percent better in our revenue on Nimbus so that's pretty exciting works going well yeah I got some new hires uh, welcome some new people this you know just did a one-on-one -on -one with our uh, new new hire yesterday pretty cool pretty cool uh, yeah I'm enjoying it let's turn to music man I sold three CDs on Discogs this week I sold just yesterday the Percolator album by all California punk band, never been a huge fan. I liked him okay. The guy that ordered, though, he's like, when, how, when can you send this out? I, I want this as quickly as possible. And like, he gave me the money, and I literally just mailed the CD immediately after that first class recorded. So, you know, that was fun. Uh, and then the, quite the opposite. This other guy bought the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis Proposition soundtrack and Massive Attacks album collaboration with Mad Professor called No Protection. I love that record so much. Bought it new with a week it came out. It's the album Protection remixed by Mad Professor, who's kind of like a dub reggae kind of professor or uh, remixer. And uh, I just love that record. I love it so much. And I listened to it again. I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Uh, I do already own it on vinyl, though, as I already own the Proposition soundtrack by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis on vinyl. So we're in luck. That was pure cash in the bank, baby. Uh, got some vinyl in the mail. I ordered this like back in October, but uh, they messed up and they sent me the wrong album. And so they had to send me a new one, but then they were out of print. So I had to wait for the reprints. So it just came in this week, which is the first ever vinyl pressing of Nine Inch Nails soundtrack to Quake, the video game. Just finished listening to it just now. Exactly like I remember when I used to play Quake. Gorgeous pressing, though. It's black vinyl, 180 gram, gatefold sleeve. Two picture sleeves. Very nice. Very nice. Nine Inch Nails Quake soundtrack. Uh, I got the 20, I think it's the 20th or maybe the 25th. You think I know this? Hold on. I want to go check. 20th anniversary of Mary Timoney from Helium's solo album, Mountains. It's a, a reissue on Matador Records, expanded double LP edition featuring four alternate versions of original songs and an essay from Mary Timoney. Very exciting. Uh, Mary Timoney and I went to college together. We were not friends. We knew each other. We traveled in the same circles, but I didn't know her very well. Uh, but I was obsessed with Helium, and she was totally the coolest person in our college. <laughs> she had already put out an album on Discord Records. I mean, come on. Uh, anyway, and, you know, Boston Rocker, I saw her, saw Helium mm, dozens of times, and her solo dozens of times, and uh, remain a fan to this day, so... Uh, obviously she got big again with wild flag and then X hex, which is great. I saw the helium reunion. Mary Timoney plays songs of helium it was one of the last shows I saw in New York before I moved away. 
That was awesome. Oh my God. That was so great. With my friend Alex, we had a great time. It was a rough trade. Oh, what a good show. Anyway, this album just came out. I haven't listened to it yet. I mean, I've listened to Mountains by Mary Timoney many times, but uh, I'm going to listen to this double LP expanded edition today or tomorrow. And the other last piece of vinyl I got in this week was a, a new album on Dias Records. It's a reissue of an old, influential, sort of uh, experimental, atmospheric, ambient synth album called Threads by Tim Story. I had never heard of him or the album, but uh, I trust Deus Records. And when they, they announced it, I listened to it on Spotify and I was like, yeah, this is good. It's right up my alley. Kind of like a Conrad Schnitzer, Schnitzer, Schnitzer <laughs> kind of album. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. So I ordered the vinyl and it just showed up. So that was great. Those are the only three albums that came in. I have bought way too many records lately. So there are going to be, they're going to be a lot in the next couple of weeks. And then the albums I listened to, not as crazy as last week, but a uh, yeah, decent number of albums. We'll get through them. Uh, I mentioned Mountain Men before, a trio of women doing very beautiful uh, sort of soft, melodic folk music. Uh, I listened to their album last week, but I listened to their live album, Look At Me, Don't Look At Me. It's like live at St. Mark's Cathedral. It was great. Very echoey. Good banter. Always a plus in your live albums. People that have banter skills, mountain men have banter skills. They have a tiny desk concert and I keep meaning to watch it at night, but I keep forgetting. So I got to watch that soon. I listened to the new sun kill moon album uh, against my better judgments. Uh, Welcome to sparks, Nevada. And Oh man. Yeah. I think this is where Mark Kozlik loses me after 30 years. I, I, I really did my best, man. I stuck with it for a long time. And you know, he had that late period masterpiece with, dogs and Benji and all that great record. But since then they've been kind of boring, but this one, I'm just like, you know, it's still like his meandering diary sort of thing, which I like, I like epistolary music and journaly stuff, but it really, it's what he's saying. He's just so angry that he has to wear masks. It's like very COVID problematic basically. (laughs) And then like, there's another one where he messes up city water and septic systems. I'm like, yo, you can be on city water and have septic. Septic is your sewer, dude. <laughs> I, was just, <laughs> I was like, this was weird. Why did you mess that up? But yeah, I don't know. Not my thing. I'm done with him. I think I, I will give each album a listen, but I'm not, you know, I didn't even star a single track. It just bummed me out. All of uh, you know, he goes into some coffee shop without his mask and they're like, dude, you got to wear a mask. And he's like, well, you guys are so selfish, man. It's like, no, dude, you're the selfish one. I couldn't believe you wrote a song about that in a self-righteous tone. It was really fucking disgusting and it made me very angry. Uh, anyway, Mer- metric has, uh, these things called the dirt road sessions on Spotify. I don't know what they're all about. I don't know what dirt road is, but they're just sort of reworkings of a bunch of their old songs. I really enjoyed them. Listen to all them. Uh, then I listened to, should I tell this whole story now? Yeah, I guess we'll do this whole story now. So then I listened to the sunburned hand of the man album called wedlock. So here's, there's a lot of backstory on this one. About two weeks ago, I was hanging out in the evening and my friend Christine, who I've known for, I don't know, 30 years. One of the first people I met in Boston. She texts me and she's like, Tom, her husband is watching a sunburned hand of the man documentary right now. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. She's like, you should know this guy. Like, hey, yeah. And then a few minutes later, she texts me and there's photos of my sister from the documentary. And I'm like, she's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, yeah, my sister was in the band. She's like, I think I remember that vaguely. And then I was like, and then like a few minutes later, she texted a photo of me. And I was like, what's that? She's like, that's in the documentary. I'm like, oh, my God. And I was like, where is this documentary? And she's like, it's on Facebook. It's like a live Facebook event right now. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So she sends me the link. 
And, you know, it takes me a while. I try to look at it on my phone. I can't figure it out. It's still going live or something. But the next day, it takes me it takes me a while. But I get to it. And the whole live video like they do for Facebook is now archived, right? And it wasn't a sunburned event. And it wasn't really a documentary. It was like this guy basically like having his friends on a Facebook live. But he had sort of planned it a little bit and like had a few bands on. And uh, <clears throat> he also, I didn't know him. But he was also a friend of Sam Burnham, the man. And um, I think maybe I did know him. The thing is, he was wearing a mask and he was using a pseudonym. <laughs> right. Not like a not like a like a covid mask, like a like a like a ski mask, but it was knit and weird. And and uh, anyway, so he's like, I have all this footage of sunburn. I mean, I must have met him or known him because of what I'm about to tell you. He's like, so you may recall my friend Mark Orleans passed away last year. He committed suicide. It was very, very sad. And Mark Orleans, I knew him from pre sunburn hand the band when he was in uh I first met him when he was in his one of his first bands, Spore, and then I knew him really well when he was in this band, Juno, in Boston. Uh, but anyway, he went on to join Sunburn Hand of the Man, as did my sister, as did my sister's husband, who's in this band called Bright. Bright and Juno played together all the time, same scene as us. We would play with them, so that's how I knew them. And, uh, you know, so the guy that's presenting this is like, I have all this footage from back in the day, and... And, you know, Mark and I, like, we were friends, and I miss him, and I edited, I realized I had all this, so I finally got her, I, I, he had lost the hard drive or something, he said, and he finally found the hard drive, and right after Mark died, and he was like, you know, it was like a sign, serendipity, so he compiled it into this sort of short, I wouldn't call it a documentary, it was more like a film montage of both a ton of footage of sunburn in that day and uh, it ended he said you know so the end of this is like mark's old porridge mark had a land camera he's a land camera buff i was too my friend nick was too mark was always shooting land camera photos and uh he's like you know one of the things mark and i did is like i sat so what the photos you'll see at the end of this are me back in the day i was filming the photos they're on a desktop and i would film them while mark was sitting in a chair behind me playing his dobro so that's what it, you know, this the last half of this documentary is still photos hand shot with a video camera and in the background you can hear Mike playing his dobro and it just I mean it got me really emotional. So I watched the whole thing and a substantial chunk of the video footage is Sunburn making their way up to Alaska to go to my sister's wedding. Because Val and Paul were in the band and they were getting married in Alaska. And, uh, you know, so obviously I was at that wedding and, uh, but I was not on the trip to the wedding cause I was already up in Alaska getting ready with the family. But you know, a good chunk of the footage is on my, my grandmother's, uh, my grandparents, they're both alive at the time <laughs> homestead where my sister got married and all of us gathered and we played music and we had a great weekend and it was just fantastic. And the footage is all from that as was uh, a double album they put out called Sunburn Hand of the Man Wedlock, which is, you know, the wedlock being my sister and Paul getting married and, uh, at my grandmother's homestead. So, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about Sunburn lately, but because of Mark. And then, you know, this so had apparently the guy that made this video and he put it together and he presented it and I watched it. And, and uh, you know, in the latter half of the Polaroids, that's there's a photo of me and Paul that Mark had taken. And, uh, and Critter, one another guy in the band. And, um, it was just very emotional. You know, it was emotional. Like I don't see Paul much anymore. My sister got a divorce. They got a divorce years ago. You know, they, they remained friends and I, I, you know, I liked Paul, but I haven't seen him in years. 
And um, I haven't really seen the whole band in years because my sister stayed up in Alaska, you know, and she married another guy. And and like, you know, I don't I don't care. Like my sister can make her own decisions. It's fine. But like, I, you know, I was friends with some of these people and I kind of miss them, too. And so, like, and I, you know, I knew I could I knew about this album, but I never really listened to it. And um, so I finally got around to listening to it. You know, this album of all the jams we did at the wedding. <laughs> And I owned a copy, but I never listened to it. And so I busted it out and I listened to it. I looked at the photos on it. And a lot of the photos of the photos of Mark had taken. And, you know, like I play on a couple songs and then like, I don't know. I just kind of went down this like hole because I was missing Mark. And it's got me really nostalgic for the whole thing. And that, and then a week later, Mike sends me these photos from even earlier with Pig Monkey and Transportation. And I was definitely lost in rock and roll nostalgia for a long time in the last two weeks. Not going to lie. That was a long story. Anyway, listen to that album. It was very good. <laughs> and then I found it had an excellent review on Pitchfork, which was pretty funny. Uh, and then I listened to a Berlin-based uh, 80s new wave uh, band called Malaria with an exclamation point. I listened to their kind of greatest hits, compiled 1981-1984. It was fantastic. <laughs> My friends Heather and Christine had a band called Mime with their friend Jen. And um, I thought Mime was sort of sounded like the normal, you know, warm leather rent. But in hindsight, I think that Mime was probably deeply influenced by Malaria. <laughs> Uh, listen to some more of that metal shoegaze band Svalbard. It's hard to have hope. Great record. I loved it. I love Svalbard. I'm all about the blending of post-rock shoegaze and metal, man. It's great. Benjamin Booker, self-titled, awesome bluesy garage thing with a sweet, mellow, bluesy last song that I really, really like. Last song especially is fantastic. Bruksha Maria, Human Condition, uh, noisy, punky thing. It has points of it where it's like full-on inserts into Neubauten level noise. That was a great album, Bruksha Maria. The Arts, uh, Debil. This is another uh, early 80s uh, Berlin <laughs> experimental band in sort of no early Neubauten era. I really like that. Uh, Metric. Oh, I already said that. The Dirt Road versions. The Powers Rollin' Duo, The Nightlands. This is one of the bands that appeared on that facebook live event with sunburn and i had never heard of them the powers rolling duo and they were awesome and i wouldn't listened, listen to their new ep slash album can't tell it's called the nightland and it was fantastic it's like one guy on acoustic guitar and a woman on the dulcimer and it's really really good powers rolling duo i am a new fan of theirs uh, and then after all of this, I should have said this one earlier, but Tom Christine's husband, who was the guy watching this sunburn thing originally runs a label called lost sounds of the underworld. And he had put out a sunburn hand of the man album called the one you forgot to forget on cassette only. He mailed me a copy. So I listened to that also ripped it. So now I have it in my plex, but, uh, that was great too. Val's not on that one, but Mark is. So that was nice to hear. Jim Ford, rare singles and previously unreleased. Jim Ford, sort of an L.A. based 50s, 60s songwriter, wrote a lot of stuff. <laughs> Paradoxically, wrote some songs for Bobby Womack. Kind of weird when you're a famous songwriter, has somebody else write songs for you. Uh, notoriously slid into sort of alcoholism, fell off the scene, ended up in a trailer park. Some English DJ journalist guy found him, compiled all his stuff and put it out as the rare singles and previously unreleased. I learned about Jim Ford because he was the original co-producer of Ode to Billy Joe with Bobby Gentry uh, and this other guy. Anyway, he claimed to have written Ode to Billy Joe, but the Ode to Billy Joe. <laughs> but the UK journalist guy that archived and cataloged all his stuff said he never found a, a recording of it, so he doesn't believe him. Listen to the Guided by Voices, Mirrored Aztec. It was good. Uh, I started one track, the one called Math Rock. 
<laughs> with the kids talk, singing about math rock. That was a good song. Uh, gave it two listens and did not start a second track. So I don't know. Hmm. I heard uh, Og told me Og told me about that record, and he told me there was a second album they put out last year. So I have to listen to the other one still too. Uh, Yuck set break button Arfane. May root ma bet or Beirut ma bet moot. So this is like a sort of house dub, not dub, like house, uh, deep house world music, Arab world music thing that would fit into my W Hotel playlist that my friend Nikki Digital sent me. It's an EP, really enjoyed it, pretty awesome. Uh, the Moonlighters, Enchanted. <laughs> this is a weird one. So I was thinking about the Pain Teens. Anybody remember the Pain Teens? Kind of a scary horror movie-based uh, noise band, uh, punk band. Really liked them a lot. Saw them in the Middle East a couple times back in the day. Great. They were fronted by this woman named Bliss Blood. She was terrifying. Uh, and I was doing some research and realized that Bliss Blood was briefly in the Angels of Light, Michael Girard's band after the Swans. And uh, then I clicked on her name and dis- uh, in... Discogs and etc. She's been in a band since the Pain Teens called the Moonlighters, and I was like, "Oh, cool. Well, I hope this is you know like like the Pain Teens. Like, is this a situation <laughs> like it was with Stars of the Lid, where they went on and just changed their name to uh, Winged Hope for Victory, and I didn't ever know about it, and now they have five more awesome albums, you know, <laughs> like like Bedhead in the New Year." Uh, but in fact, that is not the case. Bliss Blood, it turns out, has been making tiki music for five <laughs> albums now. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense because it's like the cramps are basically punk and tiki music, right? And Pain Teen seemed very influenced by the by the cramps, but it was it's so far from what I was expecting. It really made me laugh. Uh, anyway, then I listened to the new Fortet Parallel, very ambient, electronic, pretty mellow. Reminds me a lot of this band Forma, which is Mark Dwinnell from Bright's new band. Uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, my sister back in another band of hers toured with Fortet back in the day. Uh, so I thought it'd be a little bit more new weird America weird, but it's just sort of ambient. And I liked it though. It was good. Uh, then I listened to a bunch of live shows by a Boston band called tribe. If you were from the Boston area, you would remember these guys. They're very big locally. They got signed to slash records, did not make it nationally, but they gave it a shot. I really loved them. Saw them for the first time when I first got to Boston in 1990, they played their last show in Boston in 1994. I just learned that, and I learned I was at that show because it was them opening for James at the Orpheum, and there was a recording of that show on the Tribe website. Later on in, like, 97, 98, I worked with the drummer, Dave Penza. We worked together at this ad agency, Philip Johnson Associates, and um, the guy that maintains the Tribe website was like, I'm not keeping the domain name, the site's still up, here's the new URL, so I went to it, and I listened, and I downloaded all this stuff, and I listened to all these old live Tribe albums. It was great. made me really happy. Uh, I liked those guys back in the day. Then I listened to this band Liturgy, their new album Origin of the Alimonies. Liturgy is sort of a black metal band from Brooklyn based, uh, headed a black metal band from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, best known for the lead singer's previously written manifesto about black metal that I have not read. But since their last album, before this album, the lead singer has come out as transgender and is now a woman. So it is a Brooklyn-based transgender black metal band. I'm all about it. They're great. It is very much in the vein of like Svalbard or stuff like that. The stuff I've been into really lately, like the death metal meeting, the post-rock meeting, the shoegaze with some orchestral stuff. Really enjoyed it. Origin of the Alimonies by Liturgy. Uh, Then I listened to a, a split 
album. It's not a single and it's not a collaboration. They each do a side of it. Uh, Kelly Mora and Prurient. So Kelly Mora I had never heard of. She's sort of this uh, atmospheric classical pianist. And she's from, I think she's from New York, but she sounds like she's of the Icelandic vein, right? Um, very sparse. It's like, like an Eric Satie kind of thing, or maybe like Max Richter and his more ambient. Uh, and then Prurient, I've known for quite some time, is a very well-established noise rock act. And uh, apparently they both were opening for somebody. Oh, uh, Ona Notrix Point Never. And they were like, we seem very different, but we're not. So then they decided to put out an album together. And it's pretty good. It's, <laughs> it's called Chain Reaction in the Dark. Both parts are different, but they kind of work together. And I really enjoyed it. Sigur Rose has a new release. It's not a new album. It's a live recording from quite some time ago with Stender Anderson and uh, Maria Markin Cygnus daughter, two people I haven't heard of, and Hilmar Orn Hilmason, better known as HOH, who I have very much heard of, for his previous work with Current 93 and the Half-Life Trio, both of which I was really into in the early 90s, and I did not know that he ever collaborated with Sigur Rose on a live opera called Odin's Raven's Magic. Odin's Raven Magic. Uh, and it's awesome and it made me really happy and it's great. And I might even buy it on vinyl. I kind of given up at Sigur Ross was not super into the new Yonzi album. Some tracks have been growing on me, but this was awesome and it's great. I give the new Smashing Pumpkins a listen. It's called CYR and, uh, it basically sounds like they want to be metric and I have all these mixed feelings about it. Like if it was a new band and I was talking about them to you, like I just talked about like liturgy or Kelly Moran. I was like, I just discovered this new band and they're, they're pretty good. You know, they sound kind of like metric. I might've started a track or two. Wouldn't have been hugely impressed, but I probably would have listened to their next album. You know what I mean? But it's not some new band. It's nine inch nails. So that's deeply weird. And also I have a lot of baggage with Billy Corgan. I used to really, really like them in the, in the Gish days. And then, you know, I, I liked Siamese Dream as much as the next guy, but I was much more of a gish guy. And after that, I just sort of forgot about them. But my wife loved them for much longer. So we went to the first reunion tour together back in the day. Um, yeah, and then ironically, my, my, my wife's favorite band is Metric, so that's kind of weird. You know? <laughs> but it's not that good. It's just really weird. And, like, why is Jimmy Chamberlain on there and he's playing these drums and he's just sort of, like, playing like a drum machine? I don't really know. It's very strange. And then I listened to the Quake soundtrack, which I already told you about. So that's all the albums. Uh, yeah. Television. Oh, boy. Man, these things just go on. You know, I've been kind of lonely, so I just like talking to you guys. You don't have to listen to it all. It's okay. It, it's, it's good therapy for me, even if you're not listening. I forgive you. We're watching The Expanse. It's very good, but I'm still very scarred by the traumatic events of episode two. Uh, we are behind an episode now. I like to batch them up and watch two at a time. So that's going on. We have been watching WandaVision. We've watched three episodes of it so far. I really like it, but it is a little frustrating because it's a half hour show and they are spaced out a week. And, you know, like I get why Disney Plus thinks that works because it worked for The Mandalorian. But The Mandalorian, each half hour episode was an individual adventure. And that is not the case with WandaVision. It is a series based show that you would want to binge and you can't. And that is very frustrating. But other than that, it's very good. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm into it. This last episode was very creepy. Uh, and then we watched the last five, six, seven episodes of The Clone Wars that we had not watched that tie in very deeply with The Mandalorian. And uh, they were really, really good. It's all about Ahsoka Tano after she leaves the Jedi Order before she show, turns up in The Mandalorian. My ear itches, and every time I accidentally take off my headphone to scratch my ear, it feeds back, and I got to go back. Sorry about that. Uh, what 
was I saying? Oh yeah, Clone Wars. But man, they were very violent and very dark and very depressing. Order 66 takes place in these episodes. And <laughs> we're sitting there watching the thrilling conclusion of the last episode. It's just fantastic. And Emma's like, this is for children? <laughs> and we both just start laughing because I'm like, my God, man. They really went off the deep end of darkness at the end here. But it's really good. And I'm glad I hadn't watched them before. If you've never seen the Clone Wars, that's probably fine. Just watch the last seven episodes. Get through the Bag Batch part. Skip that. And then just watch the last seven episodes. If you care about the Mandalorian, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, then I decided I was going to rewatch Battlestar Galactica because I think about the beginning a lot all the time. And I was like, there's some good stuff in there. And I really didn't like the ending. And I got really bored in the middle of the series and too much drama and shit. But Emma's always maintained it was really good. So I started with the miniseries and I rewatched it. And I was like, this is awesome. And then I watched the first episode. I was like, this is awesome. And But it turned out the first episode was really what I remembered of the whole series. The one where they had to jump 270 times every 33 minutes because the Cylons kept relentlessly chasing them. It reminded me a lot of the Year of Hell episode of Star Trek Voyager. And I was like, this is so good. And then I watched one more episode. I was like, yeah, this is still really good. This is a sabotage one. And, uh, and then I watched the third one. And then Tom Zarek, the prison guy, shows up. And I'm just like, nope, don't care. And I just turned off. And I'm like, no, now I'm completely over it. And I don't want to watch any more Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> uh, so that's it for television. Uh, I did watch a bunch of movies. I watched that Sunbird documentary. I guess you could call it count that a movie. Uh, I watched this great movie called B-Movie, 11 Less Sounds in West Berlin, 1979 to 1989. It's in my Plex. Oh, I forgot to mention Plex, but that is in Plex, as is the Sunburned documentary. Uh, so Augstone, my friend, he is a writer and he wrote this great book called Nick Cave's Bar. That's a travel journey with him and Andy Shea, our friend that passed away. And they go to Europe looking in search for a mythical bar owned by Nick Cave. It turned out Nick Cave did not own a bar, but in fact, Blix a bar guild, a member of the Bad Seeds and lead singer of Einsturz and Neubauten, did not own a bar either, but he worked at a bar. And that was the bar that people had told Og was owned by Nick Cave. But even though he didn't own it, they used to hang out there all the time. And then he learned after he published this book that somebody he's now talked to a few people that used to hang out at this bar and he's talked to people that worked at the bar. And then he learned that there is a movie that featured the bar in it. And it was this movie impossible find online. Uh, you can find a DVD copy, but it was only in pal. Og didn't have a pal DVD player. He asked me to buy it so I could rip it. And I did. And I watched it and it was great. And that is why I had been listening to those bands like malaria and Bruxa Maria and the arts because they all feature in this movie about West Berlin and its punk and rock scene in the night from 1979 to 1989. I recommend the film. You can't really find it anywhere unless it's something you want to check it out on my Plex, but it's a good time. Nick Cave's in it. I inserts a Neubauten, a bunch of bands you never heard of. It's awesome though. It's really good. It's worth it just for the fashion. <laughs> uh, I watched Promising Young Woman, which I really enjoyed. It had a really weird ending that took a lot of people by surprise, but I think I liked it. If you think about it as being a movie sort of in the fight club or secretary vein, <laughs> not that those movies had a lot in common, then it kind of works. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not a modern movie in that way. It's, it's, it's a little retro in that way, but it's interesting. And I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, then I watched the Swans documentary. Where does the body end? Where does a body end? That was pretty intense. Okay. So, you know, first off, it's almost three hours long, the Swans documentary, and it, it should be long. Because my chief complaints about it are that it's missing some stuff. <laughs> I watched it over four sittings. I could not watch it all at once. Uh, you know, I just would fit it in here and there when I, I didn't have Jane one night or whatever. I've liked the Swans for 30 years. 
I consider myself a newcomer to the swans because they were already around before I discovered them, which I discovered them around. It's kind of like holy money and a screw and, and things like that, right? First time I saw swans was the white light from the mouth of infinity, I believe, and then definitely love of life. So 1992, I remember that show vividly. It was at the paradise. Had a profound impact on my life. The Swans are amazing. Love of Life to this day is my favorite Swans record, which is one of my number one beefs with this uh, movie is that it goes very light on Love of Life, but I can forgive it. Um, the story of the Swans' longevity still being a band that people care to go to see is, is an interesting one. And I lived through that, but I didn't really think about it going on, right? So I loved Angels of Light profoundly, perhaps more than the Swans, Angels of Light being Michael Girard's other band. He broke up the Swans in 1997 or something like that. And I saw that tour and it was fantastic. They played with Lowe at Somerville Theater in Boston. It was fucking awesome. And I did not realize at the time it was their last tour. And in the movie, they have people going to see the Chicago show on that tour being like, oh, this is the last time the Swans are breaking up. It's really sad. I didn't know. I didn't really think about it, right? The Swans are with me for a long period of my life at that point. I assumed they'd be around forever. After the fact, I learned the Swans had broken up and he had this new band, Angels of Light. I didn't really care. It's a name. And I liked what he was doing with, uh, you know, White Light and Angels of Light, or uh, Love of Life and Great Nihilid here. I like the less heavy Swans. I like the heavy Swans, but I like the less heavy Swans. So, you know, when he starts this new band that's mainly acoustic, I, I was all about it. It was great. And then, like, the, the profound benefit to that was that the shows got a lot smaller. Right? I think I saw Angels of Light, like, four or five times, and they were fucking awesome. And I, like, they didn't play big venues because they weren't as well-known as the Swans, and it was great. And I get why, if you were the person doing that, who I desperately crave public recognition, and... I understand how somebody like Michael Girard would crave public recognition. And, you know, I was there the night that Echo and the Bunnymen became Echo and the Bunnymen again from Electrofiction. <laughs> they're on stage in Boston. There's an Electrofiction show. And they're like, we're not Electrofiction anymore. We're Echo and the Bunnymen. I get it, right? You have this legacy. And eventually you're like, you should embrace your legacy because you want the bigger crowds. Because you want, the, whether it's financial reasons, you want to like live a life or like be able to afford a house or just because it's become pretentious to not do it, right? But I really loved Angels of Light. I loved seeing them in small venues. <laughs> there was one specifically I remember where it was them and Akron family. Akron family acting as Angels of Light's backing band at Great Scott in Boston. There couldn't have been more than 100 people there. And it was fucking awesome. So when he brought back the Swans name, I was, you know, I was down with it. The first show of that whole thing was at Irving Plaza in New York. There's footage of it in this documentary. I was there. I was, Swans are coming back. I'm going to go. I cared and I went and I had a good time at that show. But that was when I realized, okay, just because the Swans are back, you did play Amnesia from Love of Life. And, you know, the Swan songs are like 10 minutes long and he's got like 15 albums. So it's unreasonable of me to expect I'm going to hear like her or no cure for the lonely or <laughs> I should also say I really like burning world the album that I did not realize they didn't like until I watched this documentary yeah it was major label yeah it didn't do well yeah it was a little softer but I always really liked it I found that very daring of them I found it smart I found it I, I thought it worked like the risks they took to make that album I've always thought were in my swan headcanon were brilliant but then I watched the documentary and they're like, yeah, yeah, that didn't really work. And it was kind of embarrassing. And they're clearly very embarrassed about Burning World still, which bums me out because it's a brilliant album. 
So the Swans reunite. They're playing new material. It's great. I have all the new albums. I did the Kickstarter thing. I, I am staring right now at an autographed Michael Girard piece of art that is on my wall because I'm a producer on one of the new Swans albums. I still love the Swans. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I really want to see a different version of the swans i guess i don't know so i did go with a few of these shows and then you know a large part of the end of this documentary is the last two swan shows of this incarnation of swans which happened in brooklyn at warsaw i had tickets to it my friend gabe was gonna go with me he kept nagging me to go and i just didn't go because I was kind of done with this version of the Swans too. I should say that Thor Harris, a man I talk about extensively on this podcast, Thor, uh, <laughs> was in that version of the Swans, and I fucking love Thor. <laughs> you know I, mean? I just love that guy, and I probably should have gone. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm kind of done with this version of the Swans. So I don't blame Michael Giraffe for being kind of done with this version of the Swans. Um, it's tough. You know, when bands have like such a, a huge legacy... And they have so many albums and so many great songs and their fans have picked them up. You know, they've picked up a few fans, each album across 30 albums. And now they're playing. They can't satisfy the whole fan base, right? Like I, other bands have this problem that I'm aware of. And I, I think about all the time, the magnetic fields, Nick Cave and the bad seeds, the Jesus and Mary chain. And you go see them and you want to see something. James, this happened to me with James. You want to see something from a certain point in their career. And the rest of the audience might not want to see something from that point in their career or their head might be in a different place. And it's very hard and it's nobody's fault. But like, even though you profoundly love them, you, you'll still go. Right. I still went to four swan shows of this incarnation of the swans. But um, after a while, you're like, yeah, unless they're going to, you know, play something I really personally connect with. I'm not going to go. Sometimes they end up doing it. I remember this. I felt this way about the Jesus and Mary chain. And then I saw them at this tiny bar at South by Southwest in Austin. And they're like, we understand where Rick Webb is coming from with his Jesus and Mary chain fandom. So we're going to start the show tonight when they didn't say this, obviously, but in my head, they did. They're going to start the show tonight (laughs) with some candy talking. And I was just like, oh, my God. So, you know, if the Swans were to come back and play a bunch of tracks from Burning World through Love of Life, I'd be all over it. But. Other than that, if they're not going to do that and or a sort of elder statesman career retrospective thing, I just assume see what he's doing next. Because the last time he did this, Angels of Light were fucking fantastic. And I literally have just talked about the Swans for 10 minutes. So I should probably stop. Yeah, sorry about that. I had to get that off my chest. Uh, And then we watched the MLK new movie, MLK FBI, which was a documentary about uh, the FBI surveillance of Martin Luther King Jr., that was a tough watch. Um, also, like, uh, it didn't have enough talking heads in it for us. <laughs> there was no narrator. It was weird. It was a lot of montage of stock photography and some a lot of original photography. But the people talking, oh, many of the people, the interviews were great. Many of the people were there. They knew MLK. They were with him. They, one guy had his phone bugged by the FBI, and I wanted to see their faces, their grizzled faces now while they were talking. And they didn't do it. They did it during the credits, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so much better. So the story was interesting and educational, but, uh, and some of the footage was profoundly good, but, uh, some of it was like stock photography from G man movie and stuff like that, that I just didn't need. And I would have just preferred to be looking at the people talking directorial decisions. Can't fault them, you know, different tastes. And then on that note, we watched one night in Miami, the new film directed by Regina King. That was about the night in Miami where Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay at the time 
won the heavyweight crown and a night where he spent it with uh, Malcolm X. <laughs> Sorry, I always want to say Jim Jones, but it's Jim Brown <laughs> and Sam Cooke. And it was based on a play. It's very play stagey, but they did a good job breaking out of that. And it was a good movie. It was really interesting. Uh, you know, Malcolm X, I think is, I need to reread the autobiography. It's been too long. And I feel like I, the, the propaganda about him being a violent person is poisoned me from back when I read it originally. And it's time for a reread of the autobiography of Malcolm X. That was the main thing I took away from that film. That's it for films for books. I finished the short story collection exhalations by Ted Chiang, which is great. Some of them were really, did I talk about this last time? I don't remember. I think I wasn't done yet. There was one in the middle I didn't like. Most of the other ones are really good, but nothing was amazing for me. I give it a solid B plus A minus. Then I read a biography of Bobby Gentry, the 33 and a third book, Ode to Billy Joe, Old to Billy Joe by Tara Murthy, because it's the only book about Bobby Gentry out there. And uh, I was curious. So I learned some stuff. Uh, I learned she was really into Ayn Rand when she was young. That kind of bummed me out, but I think I could work it up to forgive her in my heart. And I learned that a young Wanda Jackson interacted with, with Bobby Gentry. Bobby Gentry was at the top of her fame after Ode to Billy Joe came out. She went back to her hometown, her you know her childhood hometown before she moved to LA when she was 13. And they had a Bobby Gentry day and she bought every kid in the school like a moon pie and a, a Coke and like gave them a whistle or something. I can't remember. Some gifts, right? For every kid in the school. And in Wanda Jackson's autobiography, she talks about this moment because she's one of the kids in the school. <laughs> She's like, I just remember this nice lady gave me this uh, gift. And I don't quite get how the math works out because Wanda Jackson seems older than uh, Billy Gentry. But anyway, that was where I was footnoted. So that was kind of interesting. Um, But yeah, it was a good book. Uh, I learned about, you know, that uh, Jim Ford guy and another guy I've ordered a novel from we'll talk about in another couple weeks. Quick read. Just wanted to sort of flesh out my Bobby Gentry understanding. I'm very fascinated with her living somewhere down here in the South and hiding away from everyone. I've always had a fascination with recluses. Uh, And now I'm reading Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is a near future hard science fiction book about global warming. And my God, is it harrowing and it's fucking up my dreams and it's making me depressed, but it is necessary reading. But we will talk about that when I finished it. All right, well, my wife just popped in and told me I need to go deal with a foul smell in the garage, so that's kind of concerning since that's where my plants are, so we're going to go deal with that. Thank you for listening. Drop a line. Miss you guys. Hope you're doing well. We will talk again in two weeks, and take care.